Welcome to Earthshot Now, a podcast that is part of the nonprofit Earthshot, where we are inspiring people to take climate action through a positive vision of the future using cool, clean tech. The podcast is about people, places, tech, and climate change. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein. On our shows, I talk with people from different walks of life. We talk about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what climate change means to them. Everyone has a story to tell, and everyone's perspective on climate change is different as well. It doesn't matter whether their work has direct impact on the climate, or the changing climate will directly impact what they do, or maybe they just have a passion for inspiring others to take action. We all have a role to play. Before we go to our guest, it's time for a short segment I call Clean Tech is Cool. We've spent decades trying to motivate people to take action on climate change. And yes, 20 years ago, clean tech was expensive, didn't always work too well, but that has changed. Clean tech is cheaper and better, and it is so cool. In this episode, let's talk recycling and cool new reverse vending machines. You know, we throw lots of stuff away almost 300 million tons a year in the US. That's almost a ton per person. We only manage to recycle or compost about 32% of that. What is left could fill 82,000 football fields six feet deep. And with just the paper we waste, we could build a 12 foot wall from Los Angeles to New York City, the great wall of paper. In that big number is also food we waste. Almost 40% of all food produced in the US is never eaten. And that 40 million tons goes to waste. That would fill a thousand Empire State Buildings. And there's lots of plastic. Much of the plastic ends up in the ocean, up to 14 million tons a year worldwide. And currently there are more than 5 trillion pieces of plastic in the ocean. And it's in our bodies too. We take it in through eating and breathing 74,000 microplastic particles per year. Yeah, that's bad. But it's not all bad news. We can do something about it, and that's where new tech comes into play. Today, I'll talk about one type, that is reversed vending machines. Vending machines used to have one direction. Money goes in, and a drink or a snack in a single-use plastic container comes out. Vending machines were never a destination, they were a pit stop. Now there are some new ones that are still putting things out, but in a different way. Algramo, a Chilean company, began manufacturing vending machines in 2012 that helped to solve a problem for poor people. Poor people did not have enough money at any one time to buy food or cleaning supplies in bulk. Hence, they were paying as much as 50% more per kilogram or liter than wealthier people. Algramo's machines provided much needed relief both to these families and the environment by reducing packaging waste. These refill machines dispense cleaning products like beach, bleach, cleaners, and hand soap at bulk prices for their customers. You bring your own reusable container that the company provides and purchase the amount you need. So we really reduce the amount of plastics in the environment as well as providing an economic opportunity for people. The machines have recently made their way to New York City in several locations. 
Then we now have vending machines that are going in the reverse direction called reverse re recycling vending machines. This is where people can return empty beverage containers like bottles and cans for recycling. The machine gives you back a refund. That's what makes it a reverse vending machine. Instead of you putting money in and getting out a product, you put a product in and get a coupon that you can exchange for money or merchandise. You put a bottle in the machine, it scans the barcode, it knows what the bottle is, determines the price, and then sorts it in the back, compacts it, and is ready to pick up and send to a recycling facility. These are mostly found in Europe, but are beginning to spread. While the early machines would take one container at a time, the European company Tomra recently released a machine that can take up to 100 bottles at a time. You just pick up your bag and just pour them all in. There are 50 of these Tomra R1 reverse machine, vending machines in Europe, and they're installed in five countries. To date, the machines have had more than 600,000 recycling sessions, capturing over 50 million bottles and cans, and in one setting, 787 was the highest number of containers returned by one person. It's a great way to encourage recycling, and it's so cool. This, of course, brings me to our guest today, Johanna Stoberach. Johanna is a writer and a teacher, most recently the author of Pigs. Pigs is a novel about disparity between kids and adults, wealth and poverty, items of value and garbage. It is a novel about human interactions and about the never-ending flood of waste. I am pleased to welcome Johanna to Earthshot Now. Hi, Johanna. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today and excited it, for the work that Earthshot's doing. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to have you. As you know, I really enjoyed your book and, and we've talked before about it. But before we get to talk about pigs, tell us something about your journey to becoming a writer. What drove you, encouraged you to start writing? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I think that I've pretty much been a writer since I learned how to write, um, and maybe even a writer before I learned that, before I learned how to read. Um, I've, always, I've always loved putting words together um, on the page, not so much talking. I was always a super shy and quiet kid, but I always felt like I could express myself whenever I was writing. Um, but I didn't write very seriously beyond um, diligently keeping a diary until I was in early, my early 20s um, and had my first job, was supporting myself for the first time and just felt like even though like my job was so important to me in terms of being able to pay my rent, being able to eat, etc. But I felt like I needed to do something that turned those experiences into something meaningful. And I, I just didn't know what it was. And I felt, you know, kind of lost. And then a friend of mine asked me to join a writing group. And from the first meeting that we had, I just kind of suddenly knew like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I, I can keep that job and I can keep my day-to-day -day life, but this is the means by which I can transform those experiences into something meaningful. And so ever since then, I've, I've have been writing consistently ever since then. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, really great story. Uh, before we get on to pigs, are you writing something new now? 
Were you in a hiatus? No, I'm I'm trying. I'm I'm writing a lot. It hasn't um, totally gelled together to become something that I can give a name to, but um, but I but I am working on on a long project and then on some. I've been working on some short stories and some essays as well. Ah, cool. I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you. So let's move on to pigs. And I took away from pigs this while it's an integrated message, this distinction between the human interactions and the interactions with waste. And so maybe you could start with what is that human interaction part of the story and, and what it means, what it means to you in, in that the human sense of it. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I guess um, just for listeners who aren't familiar with the plot of the novel, um, the novel takes place on a desert island that serves as a repository for the entire world's garbage. And it's populated by um, a group of parentless children whose job is um, to gather up the garbage and feed it to a herd of, of giant pigs. Um, and then the island is also populated by um, some very cruel adults who essentially live off the labor of the children. And so the human interaction in the novel is, is primarily the interaction be between the children. And um, one of the things that, that was going on when I was writing the novel is um, I went through a pretty long period um, of not writing that coincided with my children being very young. And I really found like part of the reason why I wasn't writing while they were small is because I found that um, anytime I started writing a story, I started treating my characters like I was trying to treat my children, which is that I was trying to protect my characters all the time. And so anytime they um, faced any kind of danger, I just kind of like swooped in as the author and saved them and put them into like a safe situation, much like I wanted to happen to my children. And once I figured that out, I made a decision, a pretty conscious decision to write a story that featured children in a very dangerous and vulnerable situation. And I thought like, that this is going to be this is going to be the way for me to move past this particular problem that I'm having as a writer, and so it was really important to me to um, place those children in a vulnerable situation, but let them work it out. And so that's one of the reasons I think that the novel is so like that it has these sort of collectives of people that for me the impulse was really like here are these kids they can figure it out they're strong. They under, they're active, they, they can figure out the solution here. Um, but then there's another main character who's an adult character who's kind of a like washed up middle-aged man. And I guess I, I sort of see myself pretty aligned pretty closely with him in that he arrives on the island and you know, like he keeps thinking he's gonna make things better for the kids and he keeps trying to save them. And in fact, his, his interferences in their lives make things um, much harder for for the kids and they end up having to to take care of him so um, a, a lot of the human interaction was about that was about like saying these the, this younger generation these children they, they can figure it out they they don't 
they shouldn't have to deal with the problems of the adults. Nevertheless, they do, and they're capable. And that's really, uh, I guess I could say, kind of what's happened in 2020. I mean, it was written before that, but if we think about you know, what happened this last year, a lot of kids are actually helping their parents figure things out today. And so I think you can actually relate some of that to, you know, you know, kids can do stuff. They're actually pretty bright. And if you give them the chance, that's a great message out of there. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. And I mean, it's for, completely for worse, right? They've ended up with the problems that older generations have, have created, um, but they're also really capable, capable of helping, capable of learning new solutions and figuring things out. That's terrific. Um, we've talked before, um, now we'll move into the wayside, but we, you know, when you and I have talked before, you talked about how you kind of came up with this concept of, of the trash and the pigs and the humans. Can you come back to that story and tell the audience about that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that, um, I think that the story that I told you before, I think that this is what you're referring to that when we, um, I live in, in rural Eastern Washington and I um, moved, you know, I don't know, 11, 12 years ago from the city in rural Eastern Washington to the county. And when we moved um, to the county, we lost curbside recycling and we um, were pretty lazy or inconsistent about taking our recycling to the recycling center. And so we would just put it on our back porch um, and it would build up and build up and build up until it reached a critical mass where we couldn't ignore it anymore. And we would load it into the car and um, take it to the recycling center. But during that time, I just was so overwhelmed by um, how much waste we produced. And then at the same time, my kids were starting school and they would go to school and they would come home with like their lunch boxes still filled with food and their backpacks packed with, you know, worksheets that were sent home to show the work that they'd done, but that weren't like, were, you know, not necessarily going to be recycled. And it just felt, it felt really upsetting that like, even the educational setting where my children were, where their teachers were working so hard, but that the, like, nurturing of the planet wasn't happening in terms of the waste that was being created. Um, So all of that was going on where I was just super focused on the waste, the packaging waste and the food waste um, that my family was producing. And then we also got chickens and um, suddenly the chickens became this like perfect solution to the food waste because we could just feed all of our um, kitchen scraps and the stuff that was left over in my kids' lunch boxes to them. Um, and I think that, you know, the pigs in my novel are actually my, my chickens, so. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a great way to, to get into that. Um, so let's talk about the waste part of it. And, uh, and sort of that vision of all the waste from all the world kind of showing, coming up on the shore. And 
And no matter what it was, whether it was nuclear waste or a rotting sandwich, the kids had to take it up. Sort of, can you kind of create a picture of that for the audience? Like what was in your mind and, and is there a visual sort of concept that you can relate? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think um, kind of where it, where it came from to begin with. Um, I mean, I guess the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is probably the original source, source of that, of the visual there. And just thinking about just the massing together of plastic and other things that we just throw away and, and never think about. Um, and so, you know, like one of the things that I, that I really like to do as a writer is I like to make lists and there are, there are a number of sections within the novel where I just kind of list through items of, of garbage that are, the, the children gather up the things that are thrown away and, and arrive on the island. And I guess one of, one of the things that I was trying to do with that is think about like all the visuals that I have of all of those incredible just masses of garbage stops us from looking at them in their particularity. Like we know that it's there, we know it's a travesty, but we don't make the connection between this particular item that I no longer need and that enormous overwhelming mass of garbage in the ocean. And so one of the things that I wanted to do in the novel was start looking at things in their particularity. So start saying like, oh, here's a styrofoam cooler that's washing up. Here's you know, like um, the a film canister, a plastic film canister. We don't even use film anymore, but those film canisters, they're living on. Um, and so to get at that overwhelming quality, but also to think of things in their particularity, that's what part of what those lists are, are doing in the novel. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember, yeah, all these little individual things that you picked out were you know, had a had an image there and said, yeah, I get that. I could see that coming up on the shore. At the very beginning of the novel, something else comes up on the shore that um, is unexpected by the children. Can you talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. Yeah. So the, the um, event that really sets the plot of the novel in motion is that a barrel washes up on shore and the children pry it open. And when they open it up, they find another small child inside sleeping. Um, and they have to decide whether um, he's one of them or whether he's just more garbage and then whether they're supposed to feed him to the pigs. Um, and their sort of decision in terms of that creates a whole set of of issues that then they that propels the novel forward. And, and I guess, you know, like part of, part of that event happening just happened. Like I was, I was writing and then all of a sudden, oh, here, here's this barrel and here's this child and um, what happens now? And, and it was just sort of like, you know, an, a, a gift from the imagination that, that happened. But um, it also, his presence and then the presence of, of the middle-aged castaway Otis that I, that I talked about earlier really helped me crystallize um, the fact that the novel was about more than um, environmental disaster and that environmental disaster and 
the ways in which um, human beings interact with one another are intimately tied together. Um, and so this idea of like, how, how we can think of, of our fellow human beings as disposable, um, not things that need to be nurtured, not things that need to be um, enfolded within a collective, but just disposable and not looked at again became really important for me. Um, and that is a really important message again for 2020, I would say, but it's, it's for anybody, you know, when you pass somebody on the street who's homeless and, you know, is that somebody to ignore or somebody to help or is it, you know, that I took away a lot of that from that very beginning, you know, it's like, okay, is this, you know, how relevant it is for us today? And it, it's, and then it's, it, it took me back to the waste thing, which was um, if I look at something, is it waste or is it something of value? And a lot of the things that, that wash up on that shore actually have value if we think about it. Uh, and, you know, and, and how can we begin to, to let people realize that whole mix between the Otis and the child and the waste is, is just because it looks like it's something to throw away doesn't mean it is. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a really great point. And, um, you know, on a, on a really small level, like within, within the novel, there are the glasses that, that wash, wash to shore. They're like, they have a broken temple and um, the main character, Louisa wants like, she has bad eyesight. They're perfect for her. And yet like within the system that's set up on the island, she is not allowed to keep them. She has to feed them to the pig. So that kind of sense of like, once we call something garbage, we're no longer able to um, make, make use of it again. Um, so what happens when we label things in a particular way? Yeah, you know, it does leave us um, thinking a lot of things. You've talked a little bit about, you know, what led you to that in, in the whole waste thing is, are there things you've then changed since then in how you deal with waste or how you've seen other people deal with waste personally? Well, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting thing. So our, our recycling center in our town closed um, during the pandemic. So that's been, um, a, a hard thing like I and um, for like um, for various reasons I have been reluctant to go to the grocery store that I used to go to where I could bring in paper bags to use in the bulk food section etc and so that's that's been it's been super interesting to see how like a kind of nurturing of the environment has been put on hold with the emergency about human human health and just kind of wondering, thinking about that or thinking about like, you know, the styrofoam containers for takeout food that um, have become so used or plastic containers for takeout soup or, or what have you. And just kind of thinking about, um, just what secondary costs of the pandemic are um, and, and, and wondering what, what will happen with that. So, so I guess I, I sort of feel like 
for me and my family, we definitely have stopped. Like we, you know, we, for like over the summer, we were super into like LaCroix water and then the recycling center closed and we're like, okay, well, we can't, we can't get these cans anymore because we don't have the space to like store them on our back porch until the recycling center opens again. So just trying to make adjustments in terms of, um, you know, what, what we can do. Yeah, and I agree with you. The, the coronavirus has really um, shifted some of the things. You know, for a while, some stores you couldn't even bring your own bags. Uh, and then they started letting, okay, you can like, load your own bags outside and, and things are starting to shift back. But all the now new takeout, you know, and there were some companies already starting to do kind of reusable takeout stuff and you would they would deliver it to you and then next time you order they come back and take it back but that's not going to happen anytime soon so it's really shifted and that's why i think um also think that as as we come out of this you know people reading your novel can get a fresh sense of what now what we need to you know reawaken and quadruple our efforts or by a hundred times our efforts to change our everyday habits um, and think about it before you, before you grab something, think about, is there a different way I could have that or, or push um, producers to change packaging. There's so much wasted packaging, right? And, and, you know, how can we deal with that? And I, and I think kind of pushing out these messages from, from your novel, I really, I think can help that in a way to really, you know, get people back to those change. Uh, so there are a couple of things I ask my guests each time. One is um, some fun fact, just something interesting, different, doesn't matter what it relates to. Do you have a fun fact to share? I do. I, ha I have a fun fact and it, it relates to pigs, right? My novel is called Pigs and I didn't know any of this before I started writing it. Um, but so the pigs are essentially like a magical garbage disposal system within the novel disposable system for the entire world. Um, but my fact is that um, in real life, pigs actually were also used um, they, as garbage disposable disposal systems. Um, for example, in the 1800s in New York City, um, the city relied on free roaming pigs to take care of much of the household garbage. Huh. Um, so even though when I when I was writing my pigs, they were imaginary, it turns out that um, they were know it or not, they were they were based on on real garbage eating pigs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Maybe we need to bring some of them back. Uh, <laughs> um, though they probably had other other issues. That's a really cool fact. I mean, I knew. You know, like we have people with goats, you know, doing mowing of grasses, but I never, you know, I didn't, you know, and I thought in the past, they just left it out and had wild, you know, creatures, but that's pretty cool. I like that fun fact. Um, I love, I mean, pigs are cute, right? So it's always mm -hmm. nice to have pigs. Um, I think even my vision of them in the novel too, even though they were big and they were like consuming anything, I still had my vision of cute pigs. And, Me too. And, and, and the pigs were this positive element. So I, I really enjoyed that. Second thing is a climate challenge. Do you have a climate challenge? Yeah, for so I guess, I, I guess my climate challenge is more of an environmental challenge than um, a change towards climate change. 
a challenge towards climate change, but, um, and, and we've kind of already talked about it. So I think that, um, I tend to think that small adjustments are a good way to start. And, you know, I, I think that this is not an unusual, an unusual challenge, but to just, you know, when they ask you at the grocery checkout line, paper or plastic to always say paper and better yet to always carry cloth bags with you when you go grocery shopping or when you just leave the house for whatever it is, you might not know you're going to need a bag, but to just always have one with you. Um, so that, that would be the first challenge. And then the second would be, you know, to shop from bulk food bins, but to like ask your store to carry paper bags instead of plastic bags to fill um, with for bulk food items. And then the third would be to um, shop according to packaging and that when you come across a product that has packaging that you feel like you ethically can't purchase that product to write to the company and tell them that you didn't purchase the product because of the packaging. So those are, those are my three small things. That last is a great idea because you can look at two different products and one has this big package and this little container and the other one is a little bit slimmer. And the reason they do the big one is to get noticed, right? Um, but <clears throat> that's a great idea. If you buy something and you like it, but you hate the packaging, let the company know, put it online. That, that's a great idea. And, and the first one also, it's a thing I notice on, you know, I always bring stuff to grocery stores, right? But somehow I never think about it when I go into like a Target. And eventually I realized, well, why not? Most of the stuff I buy in Target still is going to go in a bag. So why don't I bring it into Target? Because I don't think, you think it for groceries and not for other things. So, so, so piggybacking on, uh, not to be a pun, but piggybacking on your first one is to um, say, don't only bring it to grocery stores, bring it into any store you're going into, Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Walmart, whatever, and use your reusable bags, um, even though you don't usually think about it in those settings. Um, anything else you'd like, you feel like sharing it, that we haven't covered about pigs in the novel that you think uh, you would like to add to it? I, th I think I feel pretty good. Um, it's been a really fun conversation. It's um you know, there are, there are a lot of different ways to, to think about the novel. And I, um, I really love talking about it in terms of waste and, and, and environmental concerns. So thank you so much for making this conversation possible. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And everybody go to your online to your independent bookstore and pick up Pigs, the novel by Johanna Stobarak. On our website will be a link to Johanna's website. Um, and... Uh, you know, if you, if this interests you, please like go read the book because it engrossed me in it. And, and I felt really, you know, I got the passion that you were bringing out of it. So I really appreciate you being here today. I also want to thank Dustin Chang for producing our podcast, Nikhil Jane for supporting the development of the podcast and our listeners for tuning in. Please follow Earthshot on Twitter at EarthshotG and LinkedIn at Earthshot. Let us know about new cool clean tech you've seen that you'd like us to highlight and feel free to comment and suggest future guests. For everyone at Earthshot and Earthshot Now, thanks for listening. And remember, clean tech is cool.